Stage's most popular guest in our first season was Geraldine Turner. She delivered fascinating anecdotes and observations from a stellar career in show business that continues to reward and frustrate. There have been more than a few requests to get her back on stages for further reflections and wisdom. The first section of this interview was recorded earlier in the year when Geraldine was about to set forth on delivering a role that had escaped her on four previous occasions. We all hoped that Turner had finally been given the chance to deliver a role tailor-made for her extensive talents, life experience and accomplished skill in the musical theatre. The role of Mama Rose in the musical Gypsy. Prior to commencing rehearsals, Turner talked to stages about preparing such a role, the opportunities to play Rose that had escaped her previously, and the palpable excitement she experienced in the recognition of realising Rose was only a few months away. Frustratingly, that was not to be, and the cold, hard understanding that Gypsy had escaped her again was met with outrage and disappointment by eager fans waiting in anticipation. Turner was just stunned. So what must that feel like? How does a performer maintain belief in their own ability and an unforgiving industry? How can a performer and a role avoid merger five times? What happened? The epilogue to this conversation provides a fascinating insight to a unique experience. However, throughout the episode we also get to discuss some of the great musical theatre composers that Geraldine has met and worked with. Stephen Sondheim, Jerry Herman, Alan J. Lerner and Lionel Bart, to name but a few. Hers is a rich, illustrious and vital career. So, on with the show. And it seems only right to say, here she is boys, here she is world, here's Geraldine. I've gotten through Herbert and J. Edgar Hoover. Gee, that was fun and a half. When you've been through Herbert. Excuse me if I towel down every now and then because... I'm not towelling like down. Louis Why Armstrong are you towelling down? You so are hot. like Louis Armstrong. I'm so... Except you can't play the trumpet. I'm so hot. Well, perhaps you can. It's a secret talent. Secret talent. Secret talent. Geraldine Turner, welcome back. Um, look, you've, you attracted a significant amount of listeners. Goodness me. In what fir- a surprise. In the first episode. Uh, so it's... Um, you know, a, a we're no, doing take two. A no-brainer that we get you back again because oh. um, you were such a popular guest in Series oh, 1. Isn't so, that nice? So, so thank you for coming back. They're probably listening to try to hear me say something, you know, really vile or something, you know, when I, which I'm not going to do. So there. But you're authentic. You're true. I you am. Don't, you, you never hold back. No, I am one of those people who, when asked a question, answers it truthfully. I, I don't try to evade the question. Does that get you into trouble? I think it has. I think it has in the past. And certainly I've been thinking a lot. You know, I said something on radio a couple of weeks ago and I, I've been thinking a lot about the fact that, you know, the Me Too movement, all of that, that I do believe that I have been punished in my career by certain producers and etc. Um, for speaking up. And, you know, I, regre- I do regret that I've lost my temper about, you know, three or four times in my career. Uh, with, you know, on stage or, you know, walked off stage in, in a hissy fit and slam my dressing room door. And I regret, you know, anything like that. And I'm certainly not like that anymore. I've calmed down. But, but, um, but interesting, even after that sort of behaviour, uh, knowing you as I do, you're not one to hold a grudge. Oh, God, no, it's over. It's you over. let that stuff it's to go. It's over, yeah. let it go, absolutely. But other people hold grudges. This yeah. is my point. Yeah. And also, 
I've only ever lost my temper when something's been wrong, something's been going wrong in the rehearsal or whatever. And I do maintain that if it were a man, they'd go, oh, doesn't he care about his craft? You know, but because you're a woman, you're a bitch and you should shut your mouth. You know, I, I do think that, and I've been thinking about it a lot lately, and I, I, I'm not saying poor me. I've still worked and I've still got people who like me and who want to employ me. I'm not saying that, but... I do think that I have somehow at times been punished by certain people for speaking up about things that are wrong. Do you, well, I probably know the answer to this, do you shy away from conflict or is conflict something you, you I enjoy? never shy away from conflict. Yeah. I was brought up in a family, working class family, four older brothers, fights around the dinner table, uh, actually some domestic violence in my family too. You know, my dad used to get drunk and hit mum and all that sort of was terrible life really in lots of ways but um hence escaping to the theater but um we always fought and carried on and then it was over you know I never hold a grudge I never hold on to anything and if you and I had an argument we're old friends if you Mm. and I had an argument I'd storm out and go home and then I'd ring you by the time I got home yeah yeah, or before I got home saying oh this is stupid what, some, what, what some, were we doing? Sometimes it's it. better to, to, to confront it face on, isn't it? So it's more cathartic. Otherwise, well, if, you're not, if you don't have that exchange... Well, you hear about people who never speak to each other again for yes. the rest of their lives and they've been friends forever and they've had one argument. Yeah. What's that? It's yeah. so stupid. Life's too short. Mm. You know. Here's Rose. Curtain up. Light the lights. Boys, you either got it or you ain't. And boys, I got it. Well, it's great to have you back again, and it's probably an an opportune time because you are about to go into rehearsals for a show that seems to have evaded you all through your career, and we finally get to see the great Geraldine Turner perform the great role in one of the greatest musicals ever, Rose in Gypsy. How are you feeling about that? I'm really excited, actually, like a kid at a candy shop. Um, And I think it's come at exactly the right time in in my life. And, you know, as you probably know, there have been three productions and then a concert version over the years that have all been cancelled for one way or one reason or another. And so I've never never done Rose and um, you know I've been constantly disappointed about this show and so much so that I thought you know that Geraldine Turner and Gypsy don't belong in the same sentence but they do but they do they do yeah I mean if anyone was born to play Rose other other than Miss Merman of course that's right but God I wish I'd seen her I wish I'd seen her in anything actually yeah Um, but I have seen a lot of the Roses um, and I certainly saw my favourite Rose of all time is Tyne Daly, and I certainly saw her do it on Broadway. What was it? What was it about her that um, spoke to you? Well, she could. You know, you've got to be able to sing all the notes for a start. You've got to be some sort of, I think, iconic kind of person to play Rose. I mean, I think, although it has been done and can be done by someone who's a great actress, you know, who's not an iconic kind of personality. I think it's better. It's like someone playing Dolly. You can't just hire an actress. You know, you've got to have the late Carol Channing or, or, you know, Bette Midler or so. You've got to have someone like that do Dolly. You can't just have a good actress. So I think that comes along. You've got to walk on stage to play Rose with your career with you, you know. Uh, You've got to come on with your career with you. And I think that's 
But why Ty Daly was so good? Because she's not the greatest singer. Not the greatest singer, but she, but could, she, she certainly could sing all the notes. Right. Um, and she could move. She's a fantastic actress. And I think there's a lot to Rose. You know, she is fierce. She is sometimes... Well, you could perceive her as being cruel sometimes to those daughters of hers. But I don't think she is a cruel person. I think she's... There's a lot more to her. She's sexy. She's vulnerable. She's a fighter. She's all those... All those things... And Tyne Daly had all those things. Well, she's determined, isn't she? She's, she's got that. Determined. She's got that eye on the prize, which we see from that moment. You know, she goes into some people. Yeah, absolutely. With, with her father, but there and should she be hope in that song. The you plaque know? off the wall, and uh, a lot of a couple of people who've played it recently, I think, have been angry from the beginning of the show. Hmm. Well, you know, I don't think that's right. I think she's got to have a bit of hope, hmm. and you've also got to believe that she has a sexual relationship with Herbie. Yeah. So. She should be a playful kind of with him in that scene that you'll never get away from me scene, certainly. Um, do, do you think that she, she wants, say, a real relationship with Herbie or is she manipulating the man to, to get what she wants? Is that part of her the greatest scheme? I actually scheme? think she loves him. Yeah. I mean, and well, which that's, makes, what, that's how I'm going to play it. Which makes <laughs> the story so much more heartbreaking. That's right, it? because yeah. she gives him up for, for Louise, you know, in the burlesque house shit when he walks out, that fabulous scene. Mm. I think... You've got to believe as an audience that she's giving up something for this. And then you it, know. that it Rose's turn at the end, that breakdown. Mm. I mean, we've got to we, we've got to really be moved by absolutely her uh, absolute by her, her state by her state. But also, I think the clue to her is um, after Rose's turn when Louise says right at the end of the play, "Mama, why did you do it?" And Rose says, "I just wanted to be noticed." It's so sad. Yeah. Isn't it? I'm just crying about myself. I think it's the same thing. I just want to be noticed. Oh my god! <laughs> so, uh, can you talk about the the potential productions which we might have seen and what happened ah, to them? Well, the first one was years and years ago um, when the production company first started, and they wanted me to play Rose. I think the second year of the production company. No, the first year. The first year, and for some reason they didn't do it the first year. So, the second year they announced this, they were about or the about to announce the season. Because you, you'd done Call Me Madam with them, hadn't you? No, 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 no not, you until, done not it at yet. this right. point. Right. Um, I didn't do Rose in the first year, and then they were about, I heard, got wind they were going to, you know, announce the second year season, and they were doing Gypsy, but not with me, with Judy Kennelly. And, I mean, good honour, you know. She, I, yeah, Judy yeah. and I have known each other for, God, since we were, were 15 or something like that. Girls from Brisbane. Girls from Brisbane. Um, and I know that there are a lot of queens out there who think there's a, that there was a big sort of, you know, fight between us for roles all these years and all this uh, rubbish, you know. No, I wish her well. Um, but, and always did and always have. And she's a great talent. So she did it. They were doing it with her. So I remember writing a letter saying, you know, what's happened in a year? Have I lost my talent? You know, you're offering it to someone else, da 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 So then they wrote back to me and said, well, what would you like to do? You know, that one's gone. So that's how I got Call Me Madam. So that was on a list. I wrote a list of five shows and Call Me Madam was one of them. And they went, all right, let's do Call Me Madam with you. So I did it in that second year. So, and that's the only time I've ever worked for them. They've never hired me since. (laughs) Do I care? Not really. (laughs) Okay, let's move along. The second production. Moving right along. Um, Um, Moving right along, um, the big one that fell over was my ex-partner, Greg Jones's company. Um, He wanted to do do it for me. 
and it was after I'd done, I think, a little night music the first time, the second time, because I played Petra years before, when I played Desiree at Sydney Theatre Company, was after that, I think, we were meant to do Gypsy. So it was going to be the first big revival since that original with Gloria Dawn? That's right, the first big revival since that original with Gloria Dawn. And with with Georgie Parker, the divine Georgie Parker playing Louise, Tony Barber playing Herbie. Herbie. Um, Gee, I don't know who else was in it. I'm just trying to Uh, think. uh, Um, Maureen Elkner was going to be one of the strippers. Drew Anthony was going to be, yes, she was. And Drew Anthony was going to be Tulsa. Uh, It was a stellar cast full of fantastic people. And uh, we famously rehearsed for a week. And at the end of the week, we didn't get paid. And I remember it was Easter. Uh, so it was the uh, Thursday before the Good Friday, you know, and and, th- and those were the days where you had to go to the bank to get money. You know, you there weren't ATMs and everything. So allegedly, I didn't see it, but Gail Essler, our stage manager, walked out because we the pe- people who stayed, try, we stayed. A few of us stayed, wanting to get paid that day, and uh, we were dr- having drinks over at the Betty Pounder Centre, you know, the Majesty Theatre, which doesn't exist anymore. In Sydney, and Gail Esler walked across the road and saw a big limo pull up. This woman got out of the car with stilettos on and this big brown paper bag full of cash. Oh my God! I don't... So, <laughs> and then she went upstairs to the office, um, and they'd call the production company um, Bialystok and Bloom. <laughs> oh, there, well, there, there's, there's an omen. There's an omen. So she goes and gets up to the office and they're all sort of, they're throwing all this cash out of this paper bag into pay envelopes, you know, which you had in those days. Going, and Gailis is saying, well, what about tax? And they say, don't worry about that. Just give them some money so they go home. <laughs> Shocking. So we got given some cash and then by, of course, by, you know, the Tuesday after Easter, the whole thing was cancelled. So what, so why was it cancelled? Just the, no the, money. The funds love. didn't come through, right. No okay. money. Right, right, right. You know, they started the production with no money. And then... That's wise. The, and then the third one was... Oh, can I just... I'm, I'm uh, on that production. Yeah, yeah. Because there's, there's great theatrical folklore that's going around, and I'd love you oh. to hear it from the horse's mouth. But there's a story that goes around that after that production was... Uh, cancelled to get your revenge. You went into the production office with a sledgehammer, <laughs> and you smashed up the office. No, I can didn't. you can you answer that for me? I did not do that. I did go in there. Did you want to? <laughs> I, don't know. I did go in there on the Tuesday. I wanted to abuse Greg Jones because we'd split up. You see, he left me for some young girl or something. You know, right. just before we started rehearsals. So I hadn't seen him for a long time. So having lived with him for ten years, anyway. So I went out a, a lot. It was all loaded with that split up you know, revenge kind of stuff, I suppose. Yeah. I went into the office and <clears throat> walked straight in the door past the secretary and everything. And the like they, the movies. Like the movies. <laughs> flung open the door and said, and where was the phone call from you, you prick? <laughs> <laughs> He's sitting at his desk. You know, I mean, I just wanted a personal phone call that this production exactly, wasn't happening. You're, you're, you know, I heard you're it from the my agent. You're the leading lady. You're I the know. star. And his ex-partner. So, no, I didn't. I didn't trash the office. I, there were some papers on the table. I grabbed them and threw them in the air. That's what I did. That's it. And then people came and got me. I think Gail S was there, was there for, you know, cleaning up everything after the week, you know. Um, Isn't it amazing? Ch- saying, Chinese, Geraldine, don't do this. Chinese <laughs> whispers how suddenly you go in and you smash up the office with yeah, a sledgehammer. Yeah, but it's, it's a much more interesting story I that fabulous. I smash it up with a sledgehammer, but I actually didn't. I think the Sydney Morning Herald reported that I did that. I should have sued them. Yes. <laughs> Producers have been quivering in their boots ever since. Well, they, yeah, maybe, you see, but it never happened. Yeah. And then the third one, mm. 
production was a Sydney theatre company, John Frost co-production. Oh, wow. John Frost wanted to do it. And I remember that, I think... I don't Who was artistic director? Was that Wayne artistic director then? No, or? Robin Nevin. Oh, Robin, right. So I was... Um, uh, I sang Rose's turn at one of the Helpman Awards. So it must have been the very first or the second Helpman Awards. I'm not sure. Because we were going to do it, do it the following year. And as I say, STC, John Frost, co-production. Um, and... Robin Nevin was just about to announce it for the, you know, in the season for the next year. And they hadn't bothered about the rights. And that was the year that Sam Mendes had taken the world rights of Gypsy when he did it with... For um, Bernadette Peters. For Bernadette Peters. So they couldn't do it. So that was the third one. And then then only a couple of years ago, um, two years ago, I think, um, Squabble Logic were going to do it as their mystery musical, you know, just a kind of one-off concert version and asked me to do it. And uh, Simon Burke was going to be my Herbie. We hadn't worked together since oh, anything so goes. Oh, so it was terrific. Be that would have been lovely. Yeah. So we went and had music calls and it was all fun and everything. Then I went to Melbourne to do a concert or something and I got a phone call when I was in a cab in Melbourne. I remember it clearly. And it was, you know, J. James Moody, Moody from... Um, Squab Logic. And I said, he said who he was and I said, oh, don't tell me you're cancelling the concert. Not, never thinking that's why <laughs> it was ringing. And he was ringing to cancel the concert. Because, the, I don't know, there was something wrong with the rights. He hadn't sewn up the rights or something. Oh. So he asked me if I wanted to do Hello, Dolly. I said, well, another day I'd like to, but no, I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, it got cancelled again. So that's when I thought, oh, look, just forget this. Not that, not that I want any listener to think, all my life I've been going, oh, my God, all I want to do is play Rose and Gypsy. That's just not true. If I never play it, I never play it. You know, that's what I thought. But... But to have all these things cancelled over the years, um, and even a concert version, you know, cancelled, I thought, that's just too much. So I thought, just forget it. And then it was only, you know, a couple of years ago now that my old colleague and friend, director Rodney Delaney, came to me and said, would you like to play Rose and Gypsy? And I want to direct it and da-da-da-da. And I really, I said, yes, of course, but I didn't put anything, any energy into it because I thought, in my mind, because I thought this was going to be cancelled. Absolutely, well, this is actually going to be cancelled. So why am I even bothering? I remember you sharing that news with me when you first mm. found out, and, yeah. and we sat on it for a, a year or so. And you, yes, you refused to get excited at yeah, all until you were about to go into rehearsals. And, I and now's the time. And where now you can, I'm about to go into rehearsal. I mean, it, you know, having rehearsed for a week once in a, in a production, and then not, and then it didn't go right. on. So when you I'm, get into week two, you'll be happy. Get into week two, I'll be very happy. And once I see some costume designs and all that stuff, I'll be very happy. <laughs> well, Rose, I guess, is like the King Lear of musical theatre roles, yes, especially they have for, it for, back. for ladies. Yes. Um, what do you do to, as an actor, to prepare for a role like Rose? I mean, I know that you said you, you know you've got to be a personality that carries onto the stage your uh, your history, almost. A, yeah, yeah. Your personal, your life, and and also your career. Um, but what else will you be doing to ensure that you give the best Rose that you can? I don't know. I think you've just got to go back to the text all the time to try to find things in the text. But you, you've uh, often said that you know things. this woman. I do know her. She's Why my mother. Why do you know this woman? She's my mother. Okay, right. My mother was a stage manager. A stage manager. <laughs> was she? <laughs> <laughs> my mother was a stage mother. Right. 
who kind of pushed me into show business and wanted me to be a ballerina, I guess. Um, um, but, did, you know, so I and, – and my mother wasn't an awful woman either. But, but she did she want to be a performer? Awful. Did she want to be a performer? She wanted to be a performer. Right, okay. She had a lovely singing voice and her father wouldn't let her. This is, you know, years ago. And she did work in vaudeville but not as a performer. She worked as a seamstress and a dresser for Babe Scott at the Theatre Royal in Brisbane who was – Babe Scott was George Wallace's – George Wallace Senior's sister – and she was a Mum, comedian or a... Yeah, a, com- yeah, yeah, yeah okay. comedian and sing, singing, dancing person in vaudeville. And mum worked for her. Um, so, yeah, I think because my mother had four boys and then me, obviously I, I was much wanted. And by the time, from the time I was born, my mother lived through me, which is not a good thing to do, I think, to a child. But, you know, thank God I had talent. What would I have been like if I hadn't had any talent? Yeah. What would my mother have done to me? <laughs> anyway, so yes, I, I do know her. And as I began to say before, my mother wasn't an awful woman. She could be awful and she could be cruel to me. You know, I was never allowed to play. I always had to practice and all that sort of stuff um, so that I could be good on stage. Um, but I did love it. So it wasn't anything that was like a terrible kind of, you know, punishment or anything. Um, what, what was your mum's name? Izzy, Isabel, Grace Isabel, but everyone called her Izzy. So will there be parts of Izzy in your performance, do you think? Oh, I don't know, probably. A walk? Probably based on. A look? Maybe, maybe, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, always I think you have to go back to the text. Um, of course, it's one of the great overtures, oh, and that, that's a journey the in greatest, itself. The greatest it? overture ever written. Yeah, all that brass and yeah, uh, yeah. the great Julie Stein. Julie Stein, yeah. what a marvel. Talking of... Uh, composers. Mm-hmm. This is a good segue, I think. When you were here in the first season, we, we talked about, you know, the possibility of you doing an autobiography and you talked about, well, we need a hook for it. Mm. And I think we spoke about Frank Langella's uh, autobiography called Dropped Names. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, and, and every chapter, isn't it, is about a famous person he's worked with and that's the hook for the book. Yeah, so, so let's, let's spend idea. some time... Play a little game. I'm going to throw some name dropping. some names at you. Name dropping, yeah, yeah. Okay. People that you would have worked with uh, oh, during your career okay. in some capacity. Okay. So I just want to see if we can find some um, some anecdotes. Okay. That, that will come. If up. I have none, I'll just say no, nothing. You pass. can just say pass, pass. Okay. All right. Okay. What about Stephen Sondheim? Oh well, you know, it, it, it's yeah, he's a giant, isn't he, uh, of the musical theatre, and because um, you've pre- performed quite a few roles, but also you I were have. the first per- person in the world to record a solely Sondheim album. Is that's that right? true. Yeah. I was. I didn't know at the time when we were recording it, but yes, my album came out before. I think Julie Wilson did one, and um, Cleo Lane, and Cleo Lane did one. Yeah, but my album came out before, and then. Barbara Streisand did an album that had a lot of Sondheim on it, but other composers as well after that. But, yeah, first person in the world. So it sold really well. And um, But I had years before, earlier, met Sondheim and with Hal Prince and Alan J. Lerner when they came out here to do a, a musical theatre workshop and I sang um, in the Australian Musicals Day and, um, and then a note came backstage that they'd like to take, you know, like me to have supper with them and couldn't believe it so yeah so I I met them and I remember walking into the room in someone's house on the North Shore and there's Steve Sondheim and Hal Prince sitting there and they both stood up as American men always do when women walk into a room and uh Steve Sondheim was holding a didgeridoo that he'd bought and uh you know so kind of interesting And, and and he talked about the opera house and how wonderful it was and he'd been on an opera house tour that day 
And, uh, and I said, oh, you know, there are a few things wrong with the Opera House. People complain about, you know, certain aspects of, you know, the sound not being so good in the concert hall, et cetera, et cetera. And he said, oh, not the first time you see it. It's fantastic. You know, so, that you know, really good. And over the years I've, uh, you know, conversed with him by letter and uh, certainly when I did the second Sondheim album, I, I, I've got all those letters at home. I found them a couple of years ago and I was cleaning up my study and he didn't like the second Sondheim album because we'd changed a lot of the um, arrangements and he doesn't like that. He likes, he's a stickler for <coughs> what was his original Broadway arrangements and the chords that he uses, and he doesn't like anyone to change the chords, which, look, I understand absolutely, but as I explained in a letter to him, you know, well, why wouldn't someone just buy the, the Broadway album? I have to sell some records, so maybe my version of something is kind of interesting, and that's the way people will, why people will buy it. He didn't buy that at all. No, Geraldine. The fact that it's your voice is different enough, he said, you know, all this stuff, you know. He's, he's, he can be quite difficult. I do understand it, but, you know. But it's good that I've had this sort of, you know, relationship with him over the years. Mm. I shall marry the miller's son Pin my hat on a nice piece of property Friday nights for a bit of fun We'll go dancing Meanwhile It's a wink and a wiggle and a giggle on the grass And I'll trip the light fandango A pinch and a diddle in the middle of what passes by It's a very short road from the pinch and the punch To the paunch and the pouch and the pension It's a very short What about Hal Prince who talked about him? Yes, yes, he was there at that supper and I think that's the first time I had met him at that musical theatre workshop. I mean, I was a very young girl, I was in my 20s. And then then I auditioned for Evita. I don't know if, if I talked about that last time I was here. No, no. no. <clears throat> of course, everyone wanted to play Evita. And... Um, Maybe that was before that. I can't think about... When was Evita on the first time? I can't remember, because I think I was in my 20s too. Or late 20s, maybe. So, yeah, the the callback for Evita, the final callback was myself, the darling darling Michelle Forden, who's no longer with us, um, Noni Hazelhurst and Jennifer Murphy. And, of course, Jennifer Murphy got it. Um, It was a great audition. We had to be there the whole day at Her Majesty's Theatre in Sydney, the four women had to bring in costumes, our own mock-up costumes of certain scenes, what we thought was appropriate for certain scenes, Um, and it was an all-day audition. We had to do a lot of the show, and as I say, a a great experience. Um, John O'May, who's an old friend, who, who ended up playing Che in that original production, of course, was sitting in the audience a couple of rows back from Hal, so he could listen, he could listen. So apparently he told me at a later date that when I walked on stage the first time, Hal Prince said, is Phyllis from Follies? Wow. Isn't that nice? I know. And then um, at the end of the day, he walked straight, after my final bit of my audition, he walked straight down to the stage, the orchestra pit, and he said, I'm not going to give you the role. So I knew immediately, which is good. Good, yeah. He said, 
what can I say? You know, you're so talented. Um, I'm not going to give you the role because you're too tall. And when, when she first enters Ava Perron, I want the audience to think, is she going to make it? And then during the show, she becomes Evita. He said, Geraldine, you walk on the stage and I know you're going to make it. So I guess in a way it was a compliment. Yeah. But, I mean, in another yeah. way, why couldn't I act that, you know? Exactly. Yeah, anyway. And if you were too that. tall, they would have known as soon as Phyllis walked onto the stage. That's right, darling. Anyway, <laughs> look, Jennifer Murphy got it and the rest is history. Yeah. But I just thought that's an interesting story to share. Yeah, I love it. I love yeah. It. What about Jerry Herman? Yes. Well, I don't have an anecdote about Jerry Herman except the fact that I adore him and what wonderful roles he's written for women over the years particularly and for men, Lakata Fold, not too bad. Not too shabby. But um, I did work with him once on a Mike Walsh show. Those were the days when you did, you know, you, you got together and rehearsed a whole routine. And so we did this Jerry Herman medley, and it was um, myself, Jill Perryman. Um, Bartholomew John. Bartholomew John and Bruce Barry, mm. the four of us. And um, Jerry Herman played piano with the orchestra can't believe it. So, I mean, I met him and everything, but he wouldn't know who I was from Adam. But, you know, it was a fantastic thing to do. I've watched that medley 50 times, times, I oh, think. it's on YouTube, isn't it? Well, no, not in, I was. It was the period when you'd have your VHS recorder set because Mike had said that there was going to be a Jerry Herman interview. Oh, right. And medley. Yeah, yeah, so right. You'd sit there and you'd tape it yeah. on the old VHS and, and, and watch it again and again and we again. We also did yeah. a Bob Hope one. Oh, did you? And Bob Hope was there too. So we did a, yeah. Was that and, and that Mike was, or Parkinson? I don't know whether it was Mike Walsh or, my, or Michael Parkinson, but it was, again, it was um, Jill Perryman and, Perryman and myself and John O'May and, oh, I can't think of the other guy who was in it. And that, that's interesting too. And Bob Hope came out at the end and we all bowed together. And thanks for the memories. He sang Thanks for the Memories Great. at the end. Yeah, amazing. Those were the days. I miss him so much when he is gone. But when he's near me, I don't let on the way I feel inside the love I have to hide, the hell I've got my pride as long as he. doesn't say the things he should He acts the way he thinks he should But all the same I'll play This game is why As long as You talked earlier about uh, You were a great Nancy and Oliver um, what about Lionel Barnes? Because oh, yeah. I believe he came out to see that, didn't he? You no, know, he never came to no, see right. me in Oliver. Oh, okay. He heard from Cameron that I was fantastic, blah 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 And I was, if I do say so myself, and I'm very happy to say when I was not so good in a show, but I really was good as Nancy. I, I think I had, I was the perfect age to play Nancy. I was 33 when I played it. I was, I could act it, I could sing the shit out of it in those years. I was funny, I was all those 
you know, I had pathos, all those things that, that you need from an auntie, I think I was. No, it was later he came out to Australia for some reason. And for some reason, I think Helen Montague brought him to, it's when I lived with Greg Jones. The great producer, Helen Montague. Yeah, yeah. fantastic. I think she brought him to lunch at our house in Petersham and we had a pool and, all, you know, Simon Burt used to call the house the consulate. Um, <laughs> I know, and it was a big, big old Victorian mansion. God knows, we were mad in those days. Anyway, so um, I got into a huge tax, tax debt when I met my present husband, Brian, and had to sell that house to pay the tax debt, but that's another story. But, yeah, so Lionel Bart came to our house and swam in, in my swimming pool, and, you know, it was before, you know, mobile phones and everyone taking photographs of everything in their lives, so I don't have any photographs of it. Apparently there's one photograph somewhere, but I don't know who has it, uh, in an old-fashioned photograph. You know, but I must find out, you know, Patty Moston might have it. She might have come to lunch that day too with Helen Montague. Not sure. But, um, yeah, had Lionel Bart swimming in my swimming pool, love. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, what about Andrew Lloyd Webber? You, you, you've not done a Lloyd Webber show, have I you? I haven't ever in no, my whole life. But I know. know that you're one of the women up for Norma Desmond. I was. In Sunset Boulevard. I was. And, in fact, I, you know, all but had the role. Um, another thing I didn't ever play, but... Um, and again, I don't begrudge Deborah Byrne getting it. Good honour, you know. She's fabulous. Yeah, good mm-hmm. honour, and she's fantastic. Um, but yeah, this was a couple of years before it opened. They were intimating that I was going to get the role, blah blah. And I and it was when Patty Lepone was doing it in London, I think. Um, oh, so she hadn't been sacked yet. She hadn't been sacked yet. No. no, that's when they went off me when they sacked her because they suddenly thought, oh, she's... You're Australian. She's Australia's Patty Lapone, so no. we'll get rid of her. Anyway, so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I recorded a single for them, which is on my latest album, you know, so people can hear that. I don't know why I'm frightened I know my way around here The cardboard trees The painted seas The sound here Yes, a world to rediscover But I'm not in any hurry And I need a moment The whispered conversations In overcrowded hallways As thrilling here as always Feel the early morning madness Feel the magic in the Yeah, so I was flown over to meet Andrew Lloyd Webber and um, um, Trevor Nunn 
uh, to LA, and um, it was great. You know, I stayed at the, I don't know, some posh hotel in a cottage, you know, at the hotel and everything. It was all fantastic, you know, first, flown first class, all that stuff. But I think, in a way, Peter, I blew my audition because, well, I must have, because I was terribly nervous suddenly. As you would be. Mm. And I'm not very good and have never been very good at flying long distances then singing straight away. I always have to have a couple of days, but I didn't have a couple of days. So I think I didn't sing all that well. And then that started me getting fear about the readings, about everything. So I think I really didn't do a very good audition. It was all right. It was okay, but no great shakes. And then they went quiet. They used to contact my agent all the time. And then after that, they went very quiet. And then about six months later, my agent rang me and said, you didn't get it. They're going to go in another direction. Um, Trevor didn't like you. But, you know. And then I got this thing back, which is a stupid message back from my agent saying, when people meet Trevor Nunn, Trevor knows within three minutes whether he wants to work with the person and he knew in three month, minutes he didn't want to work with you. You know, what's that? Uh. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> fair enough fair enough um what about kurt vile i'm joking i'm joking i never met kurt i know i just wanted my to, face was a picture then. i just wanted to see your face then i love um, kurt vile though yeah and you you know you uh, directed a work of his no oh, i directed a, a work of jacques yeah, brill's i'm darling. a dickhead yes jacques you brill. are a dickhead yeah. yeah no i but i do sing a lot of kurt vile but yeah you I, no, i directed yeah. Um, Jacques Brel's Love and We're Living in Paris and I've performed in it as well yeah. I love Jacques Brel's songs yeah love um, they're all the creatives I've got on my list at the moment okay. what about some of the performers Phew. now okay what are the people I don't like uh, we can just say pass okay. although then that will then give it away then, wouldn't then it then that will indicate that I don't like them I'll, so I can't pass on anyone I'll cut now. it out I'll cut it out but we know you don't hold a grudge no um, never alright in um, a little night music when you first did it the great Tyna Elg was out here playing Desiree. Yeah, I love her. She, and she was a wonderful Desiree, I have to say. But a lot of people didn't like her in it, because pe- audience people, because Jill was playing Charlotte, and, of course, Charlotte's a big showy role yes. with all the comedy. She gets all the laughs, yeah. And so people preferred Jill to Tyna. And I guess they, Tyna, knew, they knew Jill as well. She had a they following, knew Jill. yeah. But I thought Tyna was a sensational Desiree. And, and also... The other thing you've got to remember is that this, we did that a little night music before radio mics. So there were just a few shotguns along the front of the stage. So maybe Tyner's performance wasn't as big as audiences were used to, you know? Um, but I thought she was fantastic. And, and I kept in touch with her over the years, always, and um, saw her in Nine on, on Broadway. The Tommy Chun. Yeah, yeah, wonderful. One of the best nights I've ever had in the theatre. Yep. She played the mother, his mother, in Nine. And, um, yeah, and she said they're all in love with Tommy, all of the girls in the show. Yeah, it was fantastic. That had the best bow I've ever seen in my life. Um, Raul Julia, of course, played the lead. And they do all the bows and everything. And you know how on Broadway always the lead has a final curtain bow without anyone there, a solo bow. He comes on for his solo bow and then suddenly... All these white doves, a flock of white doves, were let out from beyond the lighting box. It was a three-tiered theatre. Flew down over the audience, flew round him in a circle and then off into the wings. 
I've never seen it. You're joking. No, I've never seen anything like it in my life. That's extraordinary. It is extraordinary, yeah. isn't it? Do you think they just did it that day? Just for you, yeah. I was in, <laughs> no, but I'm, you know, I've never seen anything like that in my life. Fancy getting a bow like that. Those poor bloody doves, you'd think they'd be blinded by the light or... They did it I perfectly, got a, round in a circle and then off into the wings. They've got a homing system or, or I something. guess, I have no idea I how know. they did it, but it was fantastic. What about the great Jill Perryman? Because she is you the worked great with Jill Perry, Julie a couple Jill of times. Jill Perry person, as a lot of people call her, yep. in these days, in these days the so. Me Too movement. Yes. Um, yeah, fantastic. Of course, I did. The first time I met her was when we did No No Nanette. I played Betty from Boston. And I understudied her. It's the first time I've ever, first and only time I've ever understudied anyone. And then we did, soon after that, we did a little night music together when I was playing Petra. And uh, yeah, no, Jill's wonderful. And everything people say she is. I first saw her, of course, when I was a child. I went to see her in Funny Girl at Her Majesty's Theatre in Brisbane and thought I'd never seen anything like it, you know. It's fantastic. And Bruce Barry, I thought he was wonderful mm. in Funny Girl. And he, of course, was in Night Music as well, playing Frederick. When wow, we did it, yeah, you know? of course, of course. Um, but, yeah, no, I don't have any anecdotes about Jill I- I- particularly, except to say she was ju- it- just a fantastic person and very friendly and wonderful and... And always on. She never go, She never went off. You know. She never missed a performance of anything. We're talking about the production of No No Nanette. Uh, Yvonne De Carlo. Oh, I loved Yvonne. Who yes. is Lily Munster, of course. People would know her. Absolutely own. right. So first of all, and I had... think she was in the original Follies too, wasn't she? She was. I'm still here. Was written for her and about her. Because right. when she came out to do No No Nanette. I think they'd done Follies that they had Well, that was, that was 71 Follies, so... Yeah, yeah. yeah. We did No, 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 in 72. Right. So they'd just done Follies, and she came out... You know that lyric in I'm Still Here about, you know, Top Billing, Billing Monday, yeah, you're touring a stock. There's one about the furs in hock. It rhymes with that. Uh, I've lost my sock. No. no. <laughs> I do the song Let's, and I can't think. Yeah. Um... Da, 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 da. Next day there goes in, goes into hock that I'm here. You know, it's about her furs going into hock. Yep. That was written about her because she put her furs into hock to come to Australia to do No, 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 Net. Wow. So that lyric, Sondheim actually written about, wrote about her life. Wow. Because she, she was married to a stuntman who had done a lot of stunt work in How the West Was Won and he lost his legs in some big accident and they were suing... Peter Ayers, do not laugh. <laughs> they were suing the company to get a whole lot of money for the loss of his legs. But whatever happened, they lost the case. And that's why she had to come to Australia to do No, 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 to replace Sid Cherise. So she put her furs in hock to come to Australia. Oh, so Sid Cherise Sid Cherise opened, opened No, 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 and she played for about nine months in Melbourne at a Majesty's Theatre in Melbourne. And then Sid came out and replaced her and did the end of Melbourne and then the opening in Sydney and then the rest of the tour, then the tour to New Zealand. Sid was, I mean, Sid was a fantastic woman um very shy and so a lot of the ensemble thought she was a bit stuck up but she wasn't if you went and spoke to her she was fantastic um but Yvonne was much more you know jokey kind of person with all of the ensemble so they adored her and she was she had a following of bikies she had a follow and she liked bikies she liked having sex with bikies so she and so some bikey club gave her this huge bike and she was staying at what was then the Regency Hotel, I don't know what it's called now, um, in Exhibition Street. And she used to take the bike up in the lift and leave it outside. 
room. You wouldn't be allowed to do that these days. But the most fantastic story about about Von de Carlo was that Rosalie Howard was known was known she was Nanette, not known. <laughs> she was Nanette, and Rosalie Howard had been to see this clairvoyant, so she put Yvonne de Carlo onto this clairvoyant. So Yvonne went to this clairvoyant who told Yvonne that she was going to be killed on a certain day no. from the audience. Someone no. from the audience was going to stand up with a gun and shoot her. What a terrible thing and she was to, going to be predict. Killed. Who'd say that? Who, yes. What, what? Clairvoyant and in their right mind would say that? Anyway. Australia in the 70s. Mm. Yeah. So Yvonne de Carlo had, was very worried because she'd done a few favours for the mob back right. in America. Okay. And she was worried that it was someone from the mob going to kill her. So it came to the day, right, and we had a matinee that day. And so she came on. Every scene, she's the leading lady. Every scene she, she came on in, she pushed a chorus boy in front of her. Oh, so, so she, he'd be yeah, shot first. Be shot first. <laughs> Every dance routine and number, she was hiding behind chorus boys for the whole show. It's fantastic, isn't it? That's <laughs> <laughs> really good. We got through the day somehow. She that's, didn't get killed. That's like something out of Bullets Over Broadway. It is, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And it happened. Fantastic. Um, Gilbert and Sullivan you've done a few times. There's a famous production of HMS Pinafore and the great Paul Eddington came VSO out. production. Yeah, yeah Victoria Strait Opera. to play um, Captain... No, not Captain Sar- Corcoran. John O'Mavis, Captain General. Corcoran. The, what's his name? The leader of the fleet, was it? Yes. Admiral. Admiral somebody or other. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, what's the character's name? Anyway, whatever. Yeah. Sir Joseph... Sir some... Joseph Porter? Porter, thank yes, you. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Yes, and Paul Eddington, of course, from Yes Minister fame. Paul Eddington was without a doubt one of the most fantastic people I've ever met in my life. Um, he was a Quaker. I know it doesn't work when you think Richard Nixon was a Quaker, but I just you know, think of there oats. are always exceptions to the rules. Think of Oates. Quakers are pacifists, you know, they don't believe in wars. They don't, they're, they're, if ever I was going to be a religion, it would be a Quaker. I think they're fantastic people. And the anecdote I have about Paul... Um, we, we had a in, back in the seventies and early eighties, you get you used to get fined for being late to the stage door by you know, officious stage managers who'd stand there and they'd say you're late, you're fined as you walk through the door. So would that be taken out of your pay? Be taken out you, of your pay right. the next week and sent to the actors' benevolent fund. Right. So uh, because we've been running a long time, we um, a lot of the ensemble boys, the dancers, would run in just on the half hour or just one minute past the half hour call and the stage manager would be standing there saying, you're late, you're fine, ticking them off on a, on a book. You're late, you're fine, as they oh. ran in. Anyway, so they got jack of this. So we had a big company meeting because we only had about, I don't know, three months of the season to go. And um, I had a big meeting. They were all carrying on saying, you know, we shouldn't be fine if we just run in on the half hour one minute late, da, 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 you know, even though they were doing the wrong thing. So Paul said, Paul Eddington said, I have a solution to this. Um, we'll all put in some money. The principals can afford to put in more, so we'll put in more money. Uh, this will be a fund. And we'll, it'll pay for any fine for the rest of the season that, that anybody gets. And then with what's left over of the fund, we'll have a big party on the last night and it'll pay for the party. And then he said, but of course... It will all be left over because no one will want to let us down. Wow, fantastic. Isn't that fantastic? Yeah, yeah. No yeah. one was ever late again. Yeah, completely diffused the situation. Yeah, no one was ever late again. And made his point. Mm. 
That's that's someone being a great leader of a company. Oh, isn't, isn't it, it fantastic? Yeah. God, he was a lovely man, yeah. really good, and and a good actor, bloody good actor, yeah. really good. Yeah, I adored him. Yeah. Adored him. Growing up in Brisbane, um, this next performer, Bernard King, I know. Yes, was well. Bernard was sort of almost at the beginning of my career. I worked as a child on stage. You know, my mother had me out there working. Um, I, was, I was on television as a child, and then I had I was in Cotty's happy hour in the junior ballet or something. So that was your dainty June when face. When I was a kid, that's it, my dainty June face. <laughs> and then I did a lot of, I, I was in Borovansky Ballet Company when they came to town, I was in Sleeping Beauty, I was a rat, you know, and and, uh, and Tibor Rudas when he did Aladdin. Uh, Hazel Phillips was Aladdin. She hates me saying that because I was a little kid and she was grown up. But, um, uh, yeah, I was a little child in that and... Oh, those were the days again, because there's a photograph of me, which I, I should find and put on Facebook, of me holding a tray uh, for the nighttime performance, which was Oriental Cavalcade. I wasn't in that. I was only in the panto in the day of Aladdin. Uh, the Oriental Cavalcade was a whole kind of, you know, Oriental people doing sight acts and things, you know, like there was one guy who used to play the mouth organ while he ate a banana. <laughs> <laughs> He didn't. <laughs> he did. How Joe that? Belang. I've got his autograph. How can that happen? And he used to play a mouth organ and smoke a cigarette at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was his act. Right. Anyway, I love side acts. Anyway, so yeah, so at Oriental Cavalcade, I used to stand there at night with a tray of cigarettes, giving them out, out to the ladies as they entered the theatre. Can you believe that? So was, they're smoking I in the theatre? I was like eight. Yeah, I was like eight years old. And, of course, children handing out cigarettes. Yeah, I know. I know. It's fantastic, it's isn't an, it? It's another world. It's another, another world, time, darling. Yeah. It's another yeah. world. Anyway, what, what was I talking about? Uh, Bernard. Bernard King. King. Yes. So when I grew up, I did a couple of amateur things when I was at school. And then as soon as I left school, I think it was the year I left school, maybe it was the year before, I entered the first New Faces competition in Brisbane. I was 17 and I won. So did they have a state New Faces? It wasn't a I national... Don't, I don't know. It must have. Was, but it was the first one. Was that Frank Wilson hosting it or... I can't you remember. can't remember. No. I can't remember that. I can only remember Bernard as a judge, but he loved me, of course. And then right. soon after that, he opened some talent school and I used to go there. They used to have workshops, talent workshops, and, and then he'd put on productions and he and I would go to clubs and sing together. We used to sing something stupid. Why? Oh, really? Frank, yeah, yeah. Frank and Nancy Sinatra? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, right. Bernard King and me, yeah. I wish that was on video. I know, no. I know. Uh, yeah, so we did things like that. And, and uh, yeah, so I knew him for many, many years, you know. Yeah, sad, yeah. It's sad, his sad end, you know, because yeah. he, he'd lost all that money and I think he was, was he staying in someone's house or? Don't know. He was up a ladder and fell off a ladder, didn't he, or something? I had a heart attack and yeah, fell off a ladder mm, or something? Yeah, something, something dreadful. Mm, dreadful, mm. dreadful. But those were the days, darling. They were the days. Well, there you go. I think that's a pretty good start to any autobiographical tome that might. Oh, do you think? Do you think I should into... write something? Oh, well, yes. I think you. You, you know. I don't know if anyone would buy it. sat around the kitchen table and you've had me in stitches with many giggles. So... I can be a funny girl. Yeah. I can. <laughs> Did you ever want to do Funny Girl? Um, I don't know. It never occurred to me, but it right. was never done when I was at the was right age. Yes. You know, I mean, you've got to, you know, if you're going to play Juliet and Romeo and Juliet, you have to be the right age at well, the time roles, that someone's doing Romeo yeah. and Juliet, you know. Yeah, true, true. So the, There's the some roles, roles which just you. pass you by. Pass you by. I always wanted to you. play Cornelius. 
Oh, yeah, now you're too old. You're the, only a tiny bit too old. The 33 and a 3rd-year-old <laughs> clerk. Um, uh, yes. Yeah, no, it's a great role, Cornelius. Heading I mean, towards Van der Gelder now. That's, well, that's right, darling. Mm. Yes, you could be Van der Gelder. Mm. Oh, my God. Um, no, it just never was on when I was around in at the right age. But I, I mean, I could sing the shit out of it yeah. and I could act it and everything, but I don't think I'm a natural Fanny Bryce. I don't think I'm hokey enough. You know, I don't do hokey. No. Much. I could act hokey, but it's not the same as being hokey, Mm. you know. I think Jill Perryman has that hokey quality about her. Mm. Um, Yeah, no, I don't... Yeah, there's an essence within certain performers which takes to the stage. Yeah, that's right. You talk about the great Carol Channing and, you know, many have tried to play Dolly, but no one holds a torch to who she is. Well, I think people do because it's it's a bit like Rose and Gypsy, isn't it? They bring to it their career. They bring to they walk on stage with who they are and the history of that, and that's the way they play Dolly. It wasn't for me, Herbie, and if it wasn't for me, then where would you be, Miss Gypsy Rosalie? Well, someone tell me, when is it my turn? Don't I get a dream for myself? Starting now, it's gonna be my turn. Gangway world, get off of my runway. Starting now, I bet a thousand. This time, boys, I'm taking the bows. And everything's coming up, Rose. Everything's coming up, Roses. Everything's coming up, Roses. This time. We joined Geraldine uh, some months after the announcement in April that a fifth production was not going to go ahead. <laughs> you can laugh God. now. You can laugh yeah, now. I can I laugh guess. now. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, you know, yeah, it's it's funny if it weren't so kind of tragic or tragic if it weren't so kind of funny. I don't know. It's um. Look, I go back to my statement from a couple of years ago when I said Gypsy and Geraldine Turner don't belong in the same sentence, obviously. Obviously, I was never meant to do it. Yes, it was a big blow when this late latest production was cancelled because I thought, you know, I'd, 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 I remember doing the launch and saying at the launch um, that my life had come full circle and here I was in this great place and... I had everything to bring to this role and that I was going to give it all I had and as you do with every role but you know it because of the history of me and this role I I made a little speech at the launch about that about how I'd come full circle and I was just so ready to play it um uh and then it got cancelled yes so and I thought it never would because it was a pro-am production so some professional actors some non-professional actors and um so I thought, you know, they'll never cancel this. Community theatre never gets cancelled. But hey, I was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Look, there was much enthusiasm about finally getting to see you in the role. And, and yeah, I know people, I know. people were flying people, in from all over Australia. Well, people had booked left, right and centre too from all over Australia. I had 
people coming up from Melbourne and a lot of people coming from Sydney, people coming down from Brisbane to see it. So it, there was quite a buzz about it. Look, so and, and I think we, they just panicked for some reason and pulled the plug. We heard earlier in the interview, of course, that you'd really done your homework on the role. I, mm. I suppose you've been doing your homework on the role for um, for years. years. Yes, yeah, I know yeah. that woman. Yeah, and look, I mean, I guess I'd, I'd never say yes again because I would just think, you know, like if it was interstate or something, like the plane would crash on the way or something, you know, something else would happen. But I guess I could do a concert version sometime. Mm. You know, if anyone was going to do that, that'd be kind of fun. I suppose it and that home, would do me. It brings home that precarious nature of this industry. Oh, yes. How many Doesn't times it? has it happened to all of us, you know, yeah. that you you bank on something? And, of course, you bank on the income as mm. well, mm. which is not a little thing. You know, you, you bank on earning that money for those few months or whatever. And um, then it's all sort of, you know, the the rug's taken out from under you. So that's always a worry as well. And you can't just pick up work because it's too late to do that. Everything's cast and, you know, so you sit on your, your bum for months waiting for something else to happen. You know, it's all part of it. It's happened to us all, you know. Well, it's about five months ago now. Yeah. Can, can you say you've healed from it? I don't know. You know, I think that... I'm hesitating because I'm thinking that you wear everything and everything becomes a part of you. So therefore, yes, you get healed. Uh, Like losing someone becomes a part of you over the years, but you don't ever get over it. And I think from my experience, you know, if if I've had a falling out with someone, say, uh, or somebody's hurt me or whatever, I think I'm over it. I think I've healed with time. And then you just run into that person on the street and your stomach goes... <laughs> you know, and, you th- and you think... And you sort of pretend everything's fine and say, hi, how are you? Da, 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 have the little conversation and then walk on down the street while your stomach's going... and hitting the floor. And you realise that you never actually get over anything. It's always inside you there, somewhere. Uh, you know, it, but it just doesn't bubble to the surface anymore mm-hmm. until that person's talked about or that show's talked about or whatever. Well, it's yeah. still a significant part of your life experience, isn't it? That's right, yeah. You've got uh, a reputation, I guess, as being quite an iron lady. But Have I? Yeah, I think so, but but you're oh, actually God. quite vulnerable, aren't you? I'm extremely vulnerable and not very confident, which is unusual because I appear to be confident on stage, I know that. And, yeah, I guess I realise that. I mean, I don't know, I've never heard the expression iron lady, but... Well, I mean, I somebody, guess, somebody I guess people tough. think I guess people think I'm tough. I'm not tough at all. Yeah. Um, I think I'm outspoken, and I think I've always stood up for myself and for other people, for other people's rights. Um, and you know, I'm passionate in that way politically and all of that, and say what I think. And I think people mistake all those things for toughness. I'm actually not tough at all. Do, do non show <laughs> non show folk. Yeah. Fully understand the emotional investment that performers go through. No, Look, I, understand and I don't think when... they should. Can you tell me about the, the moment that you were told that it wasn't going ahead? This last time? Yeah. Yeah, it was really weird because on the Wednesday, I think, um, of that week, I was rung by the guy who's the head of the... the, the p- politician who's sort of... Because it was a theatre centre that was run by a council... So it was a councillor who rang me and said that they had replaced the director. And a large part of my saying yes to it, because it was a pro-am production, was the director. 
my friend and colleague Ronnie Delaney, who had wanted to do it for years and wanted me in it for years and had talked them into doing it and blah de blah. And I I had said yes because I knew that he would present me well and that it would be a good production because he was in charge of it. So that was a bit of a blow and I said to them, I remember being caught off guard and I still don't know why they replaced him. I don't know, some artistic differences, I don't know. But um, I said, um, oh, well, he's a large part of my wanting to do the show, so who are you going to replace him with? And, I mean, I was still thinking myself, thinking, oh, God, I still want to do it. And I did say to this guy on the Wednesday on the phone, so you're not pulling the plug on the production? Oh, no, 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 the production's still going ahead. We're just replacing the director. So, of course, I hung up from that conversation, called my agent straight away, and my agent put forward one of his people, as you would if you're an agent, to direct it, to take up that role and got in touch with them. That was on the Wednesday. On the Friday, I got an email from Stage Whispers, which is a magazine, as you know. It comes out, I think, every two months or something like that. And I think what it, what was going to happen was they had some ads in Stage Whispers they were running. So they contacted Stage Whispers before they contacted me or anyone else to oh, cancel to the show, the to pull the ads, right. so it wouldn't cost them any money. So I got an email from Stage Whispers saying, from David Spicer, saying, um, are you okay? Is everything all right with Gypsy? Because we've heard it's cancelled. And I just went, you know, my stomach hit the floor. This is on the Friday, two days later. And um, I wrote back and said, no, everything's okay. They've just pulled the director, you know, which is a terrible blow, but my agent's negotiating with one of his people now and I think it's all going to be all right. They wrote back and said, oh, that's good, you know. But, and, I'm, and I suddenly thought, mm, this, does, this is, doesn't sound right, you know. And, um, and then by midday or something that day, the councillor guy rang again and said, oh, we've decided to pull Gypsy. So they, I had heard inadvertently from a magazine. But for what it's worth, it was nice to meet you. Oh, that, yeah, yes. That's right. He, yes, he said, um, that's what I couldn't believe. He said, um, you know, you're a lovely lady and I've really enjoyed meeting you. Oh. Now what to say to that? Yes. And then he hung up. I thought, oh my God, yeah. you know, really, how to let someone down? And so yes, it was um, a terrible thing again, you know, and and also to let down all those people, the rest of the cast, and who were all excited to do it, and and the people, the audience that it would have got, I think, and I think it would have got quite. As I said, there were a lot of bookings, so they had to cancel a lot of I, and. I still haven't heard why. I guess I never will. Well, so. myself and your legion of fans are oh. very sorry it didn't go ahead. But oh. um, yeah, thank, well, thank you for doing this appendix today. Yeah, um, you're one and of our great leading ladies. Oh, darling, authentic on stage and off. Ah, oh, thank you. Um, so I, I think, and not scary, and not an iron lady. Not, no, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. Actually, I work with people constantly who say to me after the second about the second week of rehearsals, "You're really nice in this really surprised <laughs> way," and I say, "Why? What have you heard? Oh, we heard you would, you know, keep away from you. You're really terrible." I've got this reputation. I don't understand it. I'm, I am really nice. It's extraordinary. Well, it was Oscar Wilde. I'm outspoken. I'm not someone who just toes the line, I guess. So, you know, why yeah, should I? Oscar Wilde says it's better to be talked about than not talked about. He does, darling. Yeah. Yes, and it's true. It's true. It's true. Um, as I say, thanks for coming back for this um, second episode of Stages. Yeah, um, thank you. And let's hope it's a, a bonzer year. Yeah, absolutely. Coming up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And let's hope there's more in the future. I'm sure there will be. I mean, you know, you can't keep an, an old girl down, can you? Not at all.
<laughs> Thanks, Jim. Season two of Stages continues to offer insightful conversations with our finest creatives. My guests offer valuable reflection on their career, process, and all that matters to them. There are also 24 episodes available from season one, so why don't you take a look and better still have a listen. Stages is available through iTunes, Spotify, and our hosting platform, Wooshka. Always entertaining, our guests deliver terrific anecdotes, fascinating observations, and brilliant history. I'm Peter Ayers. Thanks for listening to this episode. See you next time on Stages. And life is strange And nothing lasts And people change Love is real Life is strange Nothing lasts People change Thank you.